<clears throat> okay, got a couple of you. We'll wake up here in a minute. That's all right. Everybody wants the faith of Abraham and David and Paul, but they don't want to go through what Abraham, David, and Paul went through to get that kind of faith. And so uh, we're understanding that there's a great sacrifice to be made uh, so that we can see God do great things. And, and, and I do not want us to build something great here as a church at the expense of building our faith. So this is a season where we're looking at God building something great through us and in us and here in Valdosta and Lowndes County and igniting the city, impacting the nation, influence the world. We want to end the year strong because I believe how you end one thing is how you enter the next. And um, we're not going to take these last three or four weeks of the year and wind down. We're just winding up. Amen. We're getting excited and getting encouraged and getting moved into what God wants to do in and through us. We just celebrated five years a couple months ago. And uh, that's just got me encouraged for what else is there to do. Uh, I don't believe this is it. I don't believe this is the, the maxed out uh, limit of what God wants to do and can do in us and through us. And so I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating uh, what God is going to do. But we have to put ourselves in position to receive that. And the way you put yourself in a position to receive is to give. Period. The world has it backwards, and, and, and what we do is the, the church is conditioning to the world, and we've got to get the world to condition to the church. We can't allow the redefining that takes place. I was talking to one pastor, and he said, man, you're, you're having a, a big offering during Christmas time. Are you sure that's a good time to do that? I said, well, if, if we can give to everybody else, why can't we give to God? This is the season of giving, is it not? Is this not the opportunity where we recognize the greatest sacrifice that was ever made? And I know we've got savings accounts and credit cards lined up to, to, to give to people and family and, and friends and do all that here in a few weeks. I think we ought to take time to give to God and be able to take a portion of that and be able to say, you know what, I had this set aside for, but this is what God's doing in and through my local church, and this is where I need to be giving, and I want to be a source of that. And so I think there's no better time than the end of the year, because, again, how we end this year is how we're going to go into the next. And so next Sunday, December 11th, we'll be receiving a sacrificial one-time offering, year-end offering. I've had people ask, you know, is that the only day? Well, of course not. Uh, it's just a day as a marker for our church that you're setting aside and saying, I'm going above and beyond. What, I, what I've normally done, and, and, and whatever that stretch is. Last year we called it stretch offering, and I didn't get a word this year, so I'm just going to call it a stretch offering again. Because uh, what we said last year was if you want to increase your reach, you've got to stretch, right? It's the danger that a lot of us are exercising stuff we've never stretched before. And it's that stretching moment. It's in the stretching where you recognize how far you can really go. Uh, you might not be able to touch your toes today. Uh, I can't. And I'm not going to try to. You want me to preach, don't you? I have, to, I have to sit down the rest of this service if I do that. But if I stretched a little bit and I got some things loosened up, you know, we talk about exercising faith, but we got to stretch it. You hurt yourself when you exercise without stretching. Or so I've heard. I've been able to sidestep the stretching portion. But... um. Getting older, and that's becoming necessary to actually loosen some things up before I just get in there and start throwing weights around. Let's look, let's look at a, a recap here a little bit. Week one, week one, we saw this, that many of us take gratitude for granted. And so what do we say? We said that a generous heart must flow from a grateful heart. Some of the people that give the most consistently, and I'm not just talking, look, I, I, I want... We are talking about giving and offering next week, and this will apply to your tithe and your offering and your finance and, and stewardship according to the kingdom. But I want you to understand that these principles are not just tied to money. God is much bigger than money. He's not limited by money. And so these are principles that you can apply to any area of your life. But the people that I know that give the most consistent and give the biggest and, and give with the greatest hearts... They, they will tell me and have told me their story of where they used to be. They usually have a story tied to their generosity. Their generosity is tied to gratitude. They are just so thankful. I remember when I didn't have this. 
I remember when my business wasn't doing so well. I remember when uh, I, I couldn't put food on the table for my family. They got gratitude behind it. And their generosity flows. If you're not thankful, you won't be giving. I'm just going to tell you. That's got to precede a generous heart. It's got to come first. You've got to get thankful. You've got to be grateful. And I know we already ate the turkey and carved all that up and, and put down seconds and thirds, but we can still talk, talk, talk about Thanksgiving, can't we? We can still talk about gratitude and thankfulness because that should be uh, perpetual in our life. Consistent behavior. It's not just something we do. It's who we are. So we first saw that being grateful precedes being generous. And then last week we took a look at the challenge of complacency. The challenge of complacency. That the very fact that we may have grown complacent in an area is an identifier that there's more. Man, I love that. Man, that, that got me so hard because I've, I've been challenged in my complacency and, I, and, and, and not just recently, but in my life, just recognize areas where, you know what, I, I've settled a little bit. I've kind of settled in. I've kind of just kind of gone with the status quo. I've gotten to an area and I've plateaued out and now I've kind of just enjoyed being there. But just the very fact that I'm feeling complacent tells me that there's a larger capacity. We saw that last week. We said this, uh, that until our capacity is challenged, it is not changed. Until your capacity is challenged, it is not changed. I know probably everybody in this room came in here at least with the subconscious thought process. I'm going to church today because I want to be changed. But let me ask you a question. Did you come to church today because you want to be challenged? There's a difference. Because what doesn't get challenged doesn't change. I use the example of being in the weight room and, 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 you know, when I first started working out, recognizing, man, there's a lot more that I can do in here that I never thought I could do, never got up under a bar. And yeah, I had to start out small. I had to start out with the bar. You go ahead and laugh. That's all right. I was there. I'm not there anymore. I'm not there anymore. But yeah, you got to start somewhere. Starting out with 25s. It's like, can I, you know, maybe get up to 45 in my house and then get out in public and do this? And I just got in there and I had someone that challenged me. I'll tell you what, you got to get around the right crowd if you're going to get challenged. I told you last week about my pastor's son, Sean, and he was the one that challenged me to get bigger and, and, and living with him. And we went to the gym together. But I can tell you who I, I should not go work out with. And you all know him. Most of you know him. Pastor Marcus Kreiner. He is not. His idea of exercising is walking around in his neighborhood. He talked about it. It's not my idea of exercise. And we joke with him all the time about it because he gets up here on the stage. And if any of you have been to St. Augustine or seen him worship, I mean, you, you see a, a tenth of what he can do on this stage in this tiny little confinement. But when you get him in St. Augustine on that big old stage, it's almost as big as this entire room, it feels like. Uh, he's working out. He's going crazy. He's from one end of the thing to the other, and, and he, he's falling off the stage. Uh, in St. Augustine, there's a big pole right in the middle of the stage, if you've seen it. There's a big pole that we can't move. It's holding up the roof. Move it, and the whole thing comes down. We're going to have an open coliseum. And so we have to leave it there, and we have to tell him, don't grab the pole. Because then you look like a pole dancer. We've got to tell him because he'll go across. Thank you, Jesus, and grab the pole and all kinds of weird stuff. And then after worship service, he'll just be in the bathroom. And what are you doing? Probably vomiting because he's never worked out that much in his entire life. Poor guy. He's the guy that if I take him to the gym, he'll say, Are we done yet? Is that it? But then Sean, I was doing that to him. One time I did. I, I threw up, man, right in the parking lot. Did it. Felt good, man. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't care who saw it. I didn't care. He pushed me so hard because he pushed me to where I thought I could go. And then I was in there probably another 30 minutes beyond what I had. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And that's what happens when you get around the right crowd. You've got to pick the right crowd if you want to get to the next level. You can't stay around with people that are 
settled, satisfied, content with what's going on, you've got to change the crowd up. You might have to, to start deleting. Now, don't pull your phone out and do it now, but you might have to start deleting some contacts. <laughs> don't even tell them. Just delete it. Don't, don't send them a text to say, you are not challenging my complacency. My pastor said I had to delete. Don't do that. We have to be careful not to fall into the trap of thinking what we have always done is what we will always do. We have to be careful not to fall into the trap of thinking that what we have always done is what we will always do. We have to constantly be pushing that marker. We have to constantly be pushing, God, there's, there's more. The fact that I'm even feeling complacent right now is just simply you telling me I've got more for you. So let's stretch through that. Amen. So this week, I want to talk to you about the problem with prosperity. The problem with prosperity. Let me, let me get you a verse here real quick before we jump into this. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So he's talking to brethren. He's talking to believers. He's talking to his people. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Let me read verse 2 again. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed. Notice there's only two options. You can either be transformed into what God wants you to be, or you can conform into what the world will have you be. Two options. There's no middle ground here. Well, I just want to do my thing. Well, you're never doing your thing. You're either doing God's thing or you're doing the world's thing. No middle ground. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. I can't get you where I can't first get your mind. I can't get your life where I first can't get your thinking. Your thought life will control your whole life. What you live out, what you act out is all defined by your thought life and what you meditate on and what you believe and what you think and what you know of God's word. And so he says... If we're not careful to be intentional about transforming our life, we will conform to the world. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this verse into play when we're talking about money and talking about finance and talking about giving is because this is one area where I notice some of the most worldly thinking when it comes to what the Bible says regarding money. Worldly, meaning this is how the world believes about money. This is what the world says about stewardship. This is what the world says about finances. And, and although God is not limited by finances, although he greatly exceeds that, he does give us some word and instruction and even commands regarding our money, regarding finance. I believe there's plenty, plenty of principles that speak in God's word concerning money. So the first thing we got to understand is we have to renew our minds. If you stay locked in to what you currently believe or currently know regarding money, you'll, you'll miss what we're, gonna, what we're saying. You'll miss it. Those of you that have been in church for a long time, I may say stuff that messes with some Belief systems. That's okay. We're just going to go to the Word. We're just going to go to the Word. I've grown up in church my entire life. Y'all heard my story. I was born in church. And I was in a circle my entire life. I didn't know anything else. I was in the circle that pushed, that was the head of the prosperity message movement in the 80s and 90s. That's where I was. Those were the people I listened to. Those were the, the people. Those were the ministers. And 
Although I believe some had good intentions, I believe every movement starts out with good intentions. I believe there's always extremes. I was listening to uh, a minister of mine. He's actually an instructor at Rama, and uh, is the national director for Rama ministers all around the world, um, international. And uh, he said this, that every move of God that has ever taken place, it always begins in an extreme. And then we find the balance after a few years. Every move of God. The, the, uh, the healing revivals did the same thing. The, the teaching that showed up in the 70s and the 80s. The charismatic movement. The prosperity message. Even the grace message that we saw come out in around 2006, 2007, it, it shifted to extreme. Why? Because we're trying to get out of one ditch on the side of the road, and we end up in the other ditch on the other side of the road. And God wants us to find the middle of the road. And, and the prosperity message was no different. Prosperity message made you feel like, I mean, I, I've, I've never really cared about what a pastor drove. Or what kind of car they had or what they wore. Uh, But all of a sudden in the 80s and 90s, that stuff became highlighted. And it became very incentive driven. If you give, you'll, I mean, every, just about every Christian show that I watched at the end of the show, there was an opportunity for you to give and you would receive something. You would receive, you know, some people went as far as, you know, they'd give you you know, a towel that was prayed over or uh, sand from the beach of Galilee that Jesus walked on or, you know, uh, here's some water from the Jordan River, you know, all kinds of incentives. And, and then, you know, I sat in, in, in services, sat in services where they literally, you got two messages. They preached, obviously, their sermon, but before that, they preached for the offering. You, you know some of these. Hour long to take up an offering. Hour long, man. I mean, you just, you're, you're there a long time. Church was a long ordeal in the 90s. We, we've, we've found a way to dwindle it down a little bit. Uh, take some chunks out. But they, they would, and, and, and then you would, you would have these random ones that would say, you know, uh, I, I believe there's 10 people here supposed to give $10,000. We ain't going anywhere. You can just bet. You can just. I almost just want to go up there and write you a blank check that I know is no good, just so we can move on to the next thing in service. I'll be ten. I'll be all ten. You know, I'll write the whole hundred thousand. Just let's let's move on with this thing. We're going to sit here all day until ten people show up. And I'm not saying God doesn't move in those ways, but there was an emphasis that was incorrect. An emphasis. I looked up the word prosperity just in our normal English American dictionary. And uh, the, the word prosperity says a successful, flourishing, or thriving condition. A successful, flourishing, and thriving condition. Now, do I not believe that God wants, does not want us to be prosperous? Absolutely, I do. Joshua chapter 1, 8. Meditate on my word day and night. Observe to do all that is commanded therein. And then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will achieve full success. I believe God wants us prosperous. I believe God wants us successful. Yes. But when we become eternalized with it, rather than kingdom minded, we're missing the heartbeat of God. See, there's a central message to the, to, to the gospel. There is a central message to the kingdom of God. And anything that does not intersect or stay with the central overall theme of the word needs to be thrown out. My Bible tells me that God is love. So everything that God does and everything that God wants has to be defined within that context. God is love. So we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. 
And this whole book is just marred with mess ups. This Corinthian church was a messed up church. You, you go back and read it. I mean, he's just he's calling them on the carpet on everything. And this is just in a letter. I mean, they are first Corinthians is a spiritual spanking. That's what it is. That's, that's just straight up what it is. He's pulling out the paddle. He's pulling out the belt. And he's going to town on these guys. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he's writing to them. And he says, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given, look at that word, orders. I have given orders to the church of Galatia. So you must do also. As I have given orders to the church of Galatia, now he's calling out another church. He said, you must do also. I almost titled this message, Giving Under Pressure. Giving Under Pressure. Because that's one thing that I've heard a lot of people say about church. Well, you know, I don't like them pressuring me into giving money. They're just pressuring me. They just want all my money. It's amazing how many things we give to that we feel pressured. Your kids pressure you. Okay, maybe mine's the only one. You ever heard of the dollar section at Target? You ever heard of the aisles as you're waiting in line? It's like, move this thing faster. My kid is quickly picking out every item on this little stand. I'm about to just throw the whole thing over. No, we're not getting none of it. It's all poisonous. It's all, it'll kill you. It's horrible. These things are of the devil. It's impulsive. My son is impulsive when it comes. He has pressured me. Into getting and giving stuff. But, you know, we're running into Christmas time and, and we've got family members that pressure us. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've, I've seen people that literally feel pressured to buy someone a gift when they, they literally have nothing. Maxed out the credit cards and they've, they've already, they're, they're giving to others in spite of themselves, which, you know, hey, that, that should be our attitude. Yes, but why do we feel pressure to buy someone else something? Because we know they're getting us something. This is the culture of the world. And he's saying here that I'm ordering. This is an order. So you must also do. Now, let me, let me help you understand something. There are commands of God. But he never, never overrides your ability to obey. Never. I mean, we can go all the way back to the third chapter of the entire Bible and find out that they still had an opportunity to obey. The thing we got to understand about God is God is not a God of obligation. God is a God of opportunity. Have you ever known what something could do for somebody and you are just urging them so strongly, man, if you, just did, if you just got in on this, if you just did this, if you just would do this. I mean, doctors do this. It's doctors' orders. I'm ordering you to bed rest. I'm ordering you to take this. I'm ordering you to under, you know, go under this. I'm ordering you to see this doctor. I can't do anything else. It's doctors' orders. Why? They're urging you because they know this will be for your benefit. God is not a God of obligation. We don't give to God out of obligation. We give to God out of opportunity. And Paul here is seeing an opportunity for this Corinthian church. An opportunity. We're going to uncover this. He keeps going here. On the first day of the week. That sounds familiar. The first day of the week. Let each one of you lay something aside. Storing up as he may prosper. That there be no collections when I come. Basically, he's saying, uh, you need to be doing this perpetually so when I show up, I'm not having to collect it all at one time. That's what he's saying. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. He's asking them to collect along with the church at Galatia. And then we'll see other regions that get involved on this so they can send relief to the church in Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also... They will go with me. I want to read this to you in the Amplified. I think it opens some things up. He says, now concerning the money collected for the relief of the saints in Jerusalem, 
You are to do the same as I directed the churches of Galatia to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside in proportion to his prosperity. And that's the key. That's what we want to look at today. In proportion to his prosperity and save it so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send whomever you approve with letters of authorization to take your gift of charity and love. He doesn't say gift of money. Amen. You're not putting money in the plate. You're not putting money in the bucket. You're not putting money in the church. You're putting charity and love and generosity to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go too, they will accompany me. Here's what we got to understand. Number one, as I just said, giving is not an obligation. It's an opportunity. We don't serve a God of obligation. We don't serve a God that's got his thumb on you, just waiting for you to mess up or just wanting to give you orders so you can do what he wants you to do. He's, he's, he's wanting you to obey, urging strongly for your benefit. It's an opportunity. That's an opportunity that happens every time we close service and we say, now we're going to take up our tithe and our offering. It's an opportunity. The second thing that we need to understand here, he says, in proportion to our prosperity. In proportion to our prosperity. Our flourishing and thriving condition. Prosperity should always be marked by generosity. Prosperity should always be marked by generosity. So we all start somewhere, no doubt. We all start somewhere. I mean, if, if we just, you know, went through this room and had conversations that we don't ever have, what's your income? What do you make? What do you have? What, you know, we, we, we would be all over the place. We, we would be paycheck to paycheck all the way to, uh, you know, radical international investments. We'd be all over the room, and, just, and that's just in this room, just in this church. But what he's saying is, he's saying it's in proportion to your prosperity. God isn't measuring your generosity off of someone else's prosperity. He's measuring it off of the flourishing, thriving condition he's placed you in. The success that he's promised us, the prosperity that he's, prosper, uh, that he's promised us, has to be reflected in generosity. Prosperity must translate into generosity. It, 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 it's got to be the correlation. We've got to connect the two. What we've got to understand is that generosity is not limited by prosperity. Generosity is actually opened up by prosperity. See, this will help some people because, you know, the, one of the first things we think when we hear the word prosperity or the word prosper or the word prosperous, which, by the way, Third John verse 2 says, uh, brethren, I pray that you would be prosperous, you'd be strong, spirit, soul, and body. And in every avenue of our life, he wants us prosperous. It's one of our statements here at our church. When we do our vision partnership is we believe in total prosperity. We believe in financial prosperity. Yes. Yes. We believe in social prosperity, that you're strong in your relationships. We believe in mental prosperity, that you have a clear mind and can think properly. And you don't need medication to clear that up. We believe in physical prosperity. That's one that's been left out of the church for a long time. We forget that we are a spirit possessing a soul and living in a body. We do nothing with this. I grew up again in the 80s and 90s where pastors were, they were, they were huge, man. I'm just going to be honest with you. They showed no restraint in the physical capacity, but they could tell you all day long how many hours they prayed or how many chapters they've read. God wants us prosperous in every avenue of our life. This is how I define prosperity. Able to give without thought. 
Why do I want to be prosperous in my social relationships? Because if I go into a social relationship and I have to be a friend to somebody only to become a leech to them and I'm always sucking, sucking, sucking and always pulling, pulling, pulling and I'm never giving, giving, giving. I'm not prosperous in my social relationship. There may be some of us are always dealing with sickness in our bodies that we can never go and help somebody else. Maybe we, we, we're not prosperous in our mental capacity. And so there's no way I can help clear your mind or help bring some conscious thought or help you get, give you a thought process to help turn your life around because I'm battling my own stuff. But God didn't place us on this world so we can just battle and fight and trial and, and, and push through so we can get to heaven and say, I made it. He, he's wanting to know who did you help along the way. I believe that. I believe that. Financially, he wants me in a position where when I see a need, I can meet a need. And I don't have to consult my bank account, my pocketbook. Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. Just this past week. Just this past week. I am the district director for Rama Ministerial Pastors in South Georgia. I've got 13 pastors that are under my direction and my leadership. All Rama pastors, all graduated from Rama Bible College in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we have one out on the coast of Georgia. Earlier this year, the husband was diagnosed with throat cancer. And uh, they're undergoing treatments in another state. They're having to travel and stay at an, an, in another state, at an, at an, in another city. For weeks at a time, four to six weeks at a time. And I've been in constant contact with her and then constant contact with uh, Doug Jones, who I just mentioned to you. He's the international director, so I'm feeding him information. I'm the liaison, but I'm their point of contact, in contact with the wife because I can't even talk to the gentleman. He can't even talk to me. I'm every week in contact. And um, suggested to them, you know, what, you know, maybe you could set up a GoFundMe account, you know, to help you. And, man, I'll send it out to all the pastors. I know I'll send it to our district. I know it will get sent to the region. It may even get sent nationally, internationally. You say, we've got a, a rhema pastor. We've got a brother and sister that are, that are going through this. And, and, and this is my thing with rhema. And I, and I tell our pastors this. I tell Doug Jones this. I say, we are way too big for us to be fighting this stuff alone. I mean, one of our slogans at Rama is the sun never sets on a Rama pastor. Never sets on a Rama church. Now we can say the sun never sets on a Rama school. We've got so many, up of them, so many of them up. Just out of our USA campus, we've graduated over 45,000 students. And so, you know, I suggested this to them, and, and so they did, and they set it up. And uh, this past week, uh, Doug Jones, the, the director, he just kind of ranted, vented. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this. On, on text message, he's just texting me and he says, he says our, our camp, this is word of faith, guys. This is what I grew up in. Prosperity message. He said, do you realize what we could do if everybody just gave $25, $50? You realize the debt we could put in this thing. We're not going to come up with all of it for you. It's, it's very expensive. And they, they've, they've got the means to cover what they need to cover, but they could use some help. Just assistance. And, and he, said, he said, we did real well with the prosperity message, but we didn't do very well with the generosity message. We preached a lot about get, get, get. And God has this and God has that. But we didn't do very well with let it flow. Let it help somebody. Now, look, I, I, there, there, there's no pressure. I know everybody's got their battle. Everybody's got a struggle. Everybody's got something. All I'm dealing with is the mentality. Are we thinking, what could I do? What can I do? 
Now, he's talking to a Corinthian church that gave out of their prosperity. But he comes back about a year later in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Comes right after 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Watch this. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, he's talking to the same Corinthian church now. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the church of Macedonia. Now, Paul, Paul knows what he's doing here. Because Macedonia is the northern part of Greece. And this church of Corinth is in Achaia, which is the southern part of Greece. And there's already a little competition going on, kind of like Valdosta versus Lowndes. Okay? And there's already a little in-house rivalry taking place. And so he knows if I tell them what's going on in Macedonia, it's going to stir them up. It's going to urge them to try to outdo them a little bit or at least match them. Right? I mean, if I come in here and say, hey, here's what Valdosta High School is doing. Lowndes, what you got? What you going to do? Valdosta's going to state next week. Lounge, where are you at? Okay, not going to touch that one. We'll leave that one alone. All right, we'll keep on going. But here's what the churches of Macedonia are doing. Verse 2, that in great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep, well, that's not prosperity. doesn't say in their deep pockets. It says, In the midst of a trial, abundance of their joy, and their deep poverty. And then the very next word just throws me off. Like those two words don't belong in the same sentence. Poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Riches of their liberality. It doesn't mark how much they gave. He's marking how they gave. God is not a God of amounts. God is a God of obedience. That's it. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. But basically he's saying, I gave the same charge. I gave the same instruction. We already saw that he ordered, directed the church of Galatia to do so. We already saw that in 1 Corinthians 16. And now we're a little over a year out and he's written this book because he later on mentions here. Now, look, when I first brought this up to you a year ago, you told me you had intentions to give and I haven't seen anything yet. He's addressing not their intention, but their initiative. Intentions, what, you know, we judge others by their actions while we judge ourselves by our intentions. Right? He says they gave in the midst of poverty and trial, they gave with joy and liberality. For I bear witness, verse 3, that according to their ability, according to their ability, that sounds like capacity, capability. Remember what we said last week? Yes, and beyond their ability. See, this is for those that when I said the word prosperity, you checked out. I don't fit that box. I'm not in there. And, and he's, he's opening up and saying, look, you can give out of your prosperity, out of your flourishing condition, or you can give out of your ability, where you're at. And he says that even beyond why? Because we don't ever recognize our full capability until we get outside of our comfortability. And this is where a lot, I feel a lot of people are at. I mean, I've, I've been there. I'm preaching from example. I'm, I'm preaching from experience here. That I've grown comfortable. See, there, there, there may be people in this room and next week. The stretch for you is to tithe because you've never done that. You've never done 10%. You've never done that. And that's not a one-time thing. 
As often as you receive is as often as you give. That it's, it's simple. When it comes in, 10% is already marked off to God. And, and, and you don't give the tithe, God. Let me just help you. You don't give the tithe. You return it. It doesn't even belong to you. You're giving it back to the one who it really belongs to. See, I love that about God. I love that about God. I love that he says you can give a sacrifice of praise. Now, God has the ability to answer my situation and bring in the solution. But yet he wants to give me an opportunity to give a sacrifice of praise. Because now I get incorporated in the process of seeing the blessing of God open up in my life. I mean, the verse says give. And it shall be given unto you. He's saying, I'm giving you opportunity to get involved on this. It's almost like an investment deal. And he's like, man, I want you to get in on this thing. Man, if you just put something in, you'll, you, can't, you won't even be able to hold. You won't even be able to contain. The windows of heaven will be poured out. But he said, you've robbed me. How have you robbed me? In tithe and in offering. Now, you know, there's people that, well, you know, Tithe is Old Testament. That's old stuff. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because they were giving 10% way before they were ever told to give 10%. Who told Abraham he needed to bring 10% before the priest Melchizedek? Who told Cain and Abel that they needed to offer up sacrifices to God? Who told them that? It was culture. That's how a kingdom operates. When the king owns everything and you own nothing, but he places it in your possession. You never become before the king without bringing something to him. It's kingdom culture. That's how God operates. I heard uh, just last week I was watching a message. heard a, a guy say this. He said, well, you know, if, if tithing was Old Testament, then do more. Because we're under grace. We're in the New Testament. So why would we do less than they were doing in the Old Testament? Why wouldn't we do more? If they were given 10% in the Old Testament, then your heart ought to say, dude, I'm blowing past 10%. If that's what they were able to do under the law without the spirit living within them, without Jesus going to the cross and paying the price that he paid and the redemption that we have available, then I'm going way beyond that. But, I mean, it's never a money issue. It's always a heart issue. Because he's telling the church... In Corinth here, that the church in Macedonia, the church at Macedonia gave in their poverty and in trial, gave according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. And that's the key. That's the key. How do you give beyond poverty? You're just willing. You're willing. It's your heart. I'm willing to do it. Look at this. Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. I've never been urged to take up a tithe and an offering. I've never... Has someone come to me and say, man, you know, are, we, are we doing tithing and offering? I mean, I, I'm ready. I'm, I got it. Please, please take it. Please take this. And that's what Paul is saying in the church at Mass. He said they came to him and said, we have to give. We cannot miss this opportunity. Not out of fear. Not out of law. Not out of commandment. Look down at verse 8. I speak not by commandment. But I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. What are you saying? Challenge. Giving you a challenge. This is your challenge. I'm testing to see the sincerity of your love. Sincerity is not in word, it's in deed. What you're sincere about. Look, here's the thing, guys. We all invest in what we love. They might be sitting next to you. They might be on the other side of this wall. It might be parked out in that car or parked out in the parking lot. We always invest in what we love. It might be a sports team yesterday that played and you invested time. Some people invest 
money, and finance. We invest in what we love. And he's saying, I'm, I'm trying to see, I'm trying to determine what you love by where your investment's at. He goes on here, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He's saying Jesus has experienced the very thing I'm asking of you. Verse 10, and in this I give advice. It is to your advantage. It's your benefit. Your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. That's my word to some people in this room today because we took up a stretch offering last year. And I handed out cards where you can mark on there if you wanted to contribute monthly towards the stretch offering. And you could write down names of people that you wanted to see come to this church that were not coming to this church. And you brought those cards in and you didn't put your name on it. I didn't see. I really don't care, to be honest with you. That's a marker for you to say, I am uh, 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 I am going to contribute this per month. And these are the five people or three people or four people that I want to see in this church because what I'm receiving is too good to keep to myself as somebody else has got to receive the message of the kingdom. Y'all turn those in. And so now I'm saying, just as Paul was saying. It's to your advantage to keep doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. Look at verse 11. But now you must also complete the doing of it. Complete the doing of it. Uh, That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. God is not asking for what you don't have. He's only asking for what you have. God, what do you want? What do you have? Five loaves and two fish, that's okay. How many, how many times do we mark off, how many times do we write off what we can put in that bucket? How many times do we, we, we check off because we're measuring our generosity to someone else's prosperity? We do this in life. We measure, we measure our life in, in front of people based upon, or we, 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 measure our, we measure what we, what is not seen in our lives based upon what we see in other people. Man, they're just phenomenal parents. Look, every time I see them, and you don't know the craziness that just happened in that car before they opened up and walked into this church. And you feel like a horrible parent and you think that they're parents from heaven and that they've just got wonderful kids. And then you and all you do is complain about your kids. and You talk, why can't my kids be like their kids? Why can't I parent like their? You don't know the mess that just happened this morning. They have just about set fire to the whole house trying to get the kids dressed and in church. Right. That's it. We measure our behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel. That's it. That's what I was looking for. We measure the stuff that nobody sees based upon what everybody else does that everybody sees. And it limits us. It limits us. It limits what God can do through us. I mean, the verse, Ephesians chapter 3. He's now unto him. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, all he wants to do. No. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I ask or think. You're the limiter on what God can do. It's up to us. God is limitless. The only thing that holds God back is our thinking, our belief system, what we actually do with the words that he gives us. Keep going. Verse 12. For if there is first a willing mind, that's where we got to start. That's where we got to start. If there's first a willing mind, 
You've got to have a willing heart to come in here. Now, look, again, this is an obligation. I've said this before from this pulpit. You don't have to give. You don't have to give 10% of your income. But you're able to sit in that chair today because someone has. You don't have to serve with our children. But your kids are over there being ministered because someone is. You don't have to raise your hands and clap and sing. But the presence is in this place because somebody is entering in. Because two or more have gathered. And there he is in the midst. You could be a spectator or you could be a participator. That's up to you. That's up to you. Again, it's a command. But God won't make you. He gives you the opportunity to step into what he's given. But he says, first, you've got to have a willing mind. God, help our minds. May we be willing to do what we can. If there's first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But by an equality, that now at this time, your abundance may supply their lack. And that their abundance may also supply your lack. That there may be equality, as it is written. He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And then we go into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to try to condense this. Then we go into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And 2 Corinthians chapter 9 has some of our, our favorite verses. Verse 10. Now may, who, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Verse 6, backing up to verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all, gra- all grace abound towards you. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. He's following up here with the call to generosity. He's helping them see, now look, it's, it's not how much you give. It's how. Again, like I said, for some of you, the stretch, the step of faith that you need to take next week is just to start tithing. You may have thrown 10 in every now and then or 25 here and, and, and this there, but there, there is a command and there is a law and there is a blessing upon the tithe. I, I, I tell people, start somewhere. I, I've heard this before from people. I, I can't tithe. Okay, I know what they mean because physically, yes, you can. Because tithe doesn't just mean 10%. It means the first 10%. And see, what people do is we've, we've lived our lives to where we've maxed ourselves out. And what we do is we get our paycheck and we do house payment, car payment, bills, food. And then if I have anything left over, tithe. But it's, that's not how it works. You, 10% starts at the top. You get paid $1,000. I do that because I know 10% of 1000 <laughs> I can do that one. 1000 So 100 marked off. It's already carved out. He says, how have you robbed me? It belongs to him. You return that. God, I'm returning this 10% because I know you can take care of the other 90. But if I do that, then I won't have enough for this. No, if you do that, 
you will have enough for that. That's how my God works. It's the only time in the Bible that he says, test me in this. (laughs) There will be a test. There's always a test for us, and God's saying, look, put me to the test. I'll take the test. Give me the test. Test me in this and see if I will not. I have found this out to be so true in my life that God can do way more with the 90 than I could do with the 100. <laughs> I, thought I, was, I thought I was holding back. You know, I, I get them back. God, I got you next month. Next month, we're doubling up. I'm going to keep it now. But I got you covered. It's coming. Writing God oh, IOUs. I got a whole suitcase full of IOUs for God. <laughs> oh, man. Y'all are like, get me a different pastor, please. He does what I do. I did. I did. And I found out I, I kept the 100% and I didn't know where it went. But then when I took the opportunity, the opportunity, say, God, I'm going to put you first. You're not last. You're, you're not the last thing that comes out when I get everything else paid off and see if it all works. I don't know how many of you live like lived life like this at some point but i know we have it doesn't make sense on paper i just quit writing stuff down after a while because it was like this stuff isn't making sense well i should not be able to pay for that there's no way i should be able to take care of this that's what i love about god you can't put him on paper that book is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword that's the time So for some people, it may just be taking that step and saying, all right, this is what we make. This is what's going in. And I'm giving it to you first. You don't give to the church. You give through the church. It's the avenue. It's the funnel through which God is doing his work in the earth today. We say that enough around here. You should already buy into that. There's nothing that God is doing in the earth without using the local church, period. We are the hope of the world. We are the help of the world. We are the hands of Jesus. We are the feet of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. The head can want all at once. It's not until the body is activated and starts carrying out and functioning and operating what the head wants to do. That's what we are. God's not limited by money, but he uses it. Absolutely. And I'm not coming to you this morning. I just want you to know I'm not coming to you this morning because we need it. Every single year, we have already surpassed this year what we brought in last year. And I think that I've probably almost said that around Thanksgiving every year since the the, the beginning of this church. Right around the first week of December, we blow past what we even brought in the year before. And let me tell you, that is with discontinued giving from from some sources that we had in years previous. And I can put it on paper, but it don't make any sense to me, so I just quit looking at the papers. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. So I'm not coming to you from a need. I'm not coming to you because I need a raise. We're doing good. This is my first year going full-time with the church, only receiving income from the church. First year in our fifth year. God's doing great things. I'm coming to you because of opportunity, not out of obligation. Guys, if you'd come up, I'm, I'm coming to you not because he needs it, because you need it. To stretch your faith, yes. Will it take you out of your comfort zone? Yeah. Maybe you've never written a check, check like that before. Maybe you've never, never put that many zeros on there. Maybe you've never... Written a church to AFC or Anchor Faith Church and put that on the line. Or to any church. Take a step where you're at. I remember where I was going with that with the, I'm not able to tithe. I remember I I had a couple that was there. They were so maxed out, credit card payments, car car payment, living in a house, and just beyond their means. That's, That's where a lot of the world is today is just beyond our means. And that's part of the problem. And, and, and we need to do more. And we're going to. Next year, I want to provide stewardship financial classes. Dave Ramsey's got phenomenal stuff that can help people. And there's others out there. And this book, right here, 
It's actually got a lot of good stuff. Faithfulness and stewardship. But I told this one couple, I, I said, you got to start where you're at. I said, when's the last time you gave? I don't even know. I said, here's the thing you do. Starting now. Starting this coming weekend. You don't let a bucket go by without you putting something in it. Because you're not even in the habit of contributing. You're not even in the habit of coming through that door and thinking, what am I giving? There's not even the habit. See, we, we, we want to have God's blessings without our, our right habits. You're not even in the habit. I said, just throw 50 cents in. Throw $50 in. Just get in the habit of giving. You got, people, faith has to be built. We all have faith. Faith is just like muscles. Everybody in this room has muscles. Every one of them. Even our precious little baby right here has muscles. But you know what? Josh and his daughter have developed their muscles to a greater or lesser degree. And everybody in here has developed our faith to a greater or lesser degree. you got to start somewhere. It might be just pushing the bar. It might be the 25s. I can promise you, if you stay with it, you won't stay there. Oh, that was good. If you'll stay with it, you won't stay there. It might just be the practice of, i, I, I got to put something in. And that's my stretch. Because I, I could use that 20. I mean, I already know what I need to spend it on. And God's saying, let me spend it on you. Let me do something with you. Watch what I can do with it. And then from there it grows into, all right, I'm tithing. Doing this thing. Doing it. I'm not missing. And then from there it goes, but here's the thing, guys. Some of us in this room, we've grown comfortable with the tithe. That's no, that's easy. We've got that. Got that. He says, your generosity, your generosity should be in proportion to your prosperity. And here's what we do. We get more, but we don't give more. And it's this gap that hinders God in our lives. In proportion to these things. When we get more, give more. We match it. Come on, you match your 401k? Let's match God. Some of us, Next week, you might be saying, starting next week, I'm going to be initiating a practice of giving above and beyond my time. 10%, I can do that. I can do that with my eyes closed. I know. I've already got the first 10% carved out. But stretching it a little further, okay, I, I, I can do I can do that. And the next week is going to be a time, a moment of sacrifice. When you look in the Old Testament, those sacrificial moments were so important. They were reminders. I love it in the Bible where it says they built this altar and sacrificed to God, and it's still there today. And sometimes I'll think, is it really? But I know where it is, still in someone's heart. I remember that time we fought that battle, and we should have died. But Moses was up there, and we held his arms up, and we won. I remember that time when we, we, the Egyptians were on our back. We had the Red Sea in front of us, and, and somehow God pulled out a blow dryer and blew that thing back, and it just stood up on its side while a million people walked across. And, and then the Egyptians, they died in the same sea. That we, the same floor that saved us killed them. And then we get on the other side, and, and we've got an altar, and we remember. So next week is going to be an altar. It's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to be a memorial saying, this is where God brought me, but I'm not staying there because this is where we're going and when I need to when it gets tough up there when it gets tough at Jericho when it gets tough at AI when it gets tough against the Philistines when it gets tough against the, I can remember the sea I can remember the parting of the waters I can remember the Egyptians were small I can remember the ten plagues when we were in slavery I can remember December 11th will be a marker for you it'll say this is where God has brought me and I'm excited about where he's taken me and I'm going to build an altar, I'm going to build a memorial, and I'm going to sacrificially give. Sacrificially. Yeah, it'll hurt. The first time I put 
135 on a bar. It hurt. Thank God I had someone spotting me. Thank God I had someone there in faith with me saying, you can do this. First time I wrote a check for $500, it hurt. Yeah, that hurt. I've never written a check like that where I didn't already have a list of what I needed to do with it. Like, God, could you at least just get rid of my list? At least let me just go into this thing blind saying, there it is. I don't know what I... I've always had something. But I'm so excited to see what God can do through sacrificial And I'm excited to see what he's going to do next week. Let's not limit God. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning. You have such a great plan and such a great purpose. Father, I pray that my words have been seasoned this morning. In a culture where we hate almost hearing about money and we know that there are people that are out to just get money. We understand that. Father, I pray that our minds are renewed today to understand the heartbeat of God, the purpose of God. You're not a taker. You're a giver. You're you're not a thief. You restore. But Father, there is a lordship principle. There is a stewardship principle. There is an understanding that there is something you want to do in our lives that's going to require us to step beyond, step outside of what might be comfortable to us. And we'll never reach our full capability as we remain within our comfortability. Father, I pray that every seed that is sown next week, you honor it, you see it. And Father, I pray that it will go towards the advancement of the kingdom. I pray that it will do nothing else but see lives changed, brought out of darkness into light. See see sin eradicated in people's lives. Help people find destiny and purpose within this city and this community. Help be a light to those around us, Father. And I thank you that we will see a great move of God. We have seen nothing yet. We're just getting started. And we thank you that we can be a part of everything that you're doing in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen.